And the thought was, if Joe could build a loyal following, then he could attract advertisers to sponsor the podcast and bring in additional income stream. Best ever listeners, I'm so excited to share today's sponsor with you. It's Eastern Union Funding and Arbor Realty Trust. If you're in the multifamily space, you likely recognize these names, but have you used them? Uh, I'm guessing if you haven't, then you probably know someone who has. I can tell you personally, we have used uh, Mark Belsky. He is a point person at Eastern Union Funding as a partner with us, and he has helped us secure debt uh, for actually a deal we closed on this month. And we've worked with him. Um, In addition, my clients, my program, my consulting program have worked with him to successfully close on deals. When we were starting out, Ashcroft was starting out, we had somewhat of a track record, but we weren't fully as established with our investor network. I went to him and we secured some equity, $500,000 in equity to fund one of our deals. While he works with more institutional partners, he's brought $200 million in equity over the last 12 months. He was able to help us out there and we built a relationship with him and Eastern Union Funding ever since. So if you need equity for your deal and you have a track record, then he's your point person. His number is 212-897-9875. If you need debt, then he partners up with Arbor on a lot of transactions. So if you're a multifamily borrower who wants agency or bridge debt, then that's the team to work with. Uh, We have worked with their team, both Eastern Union and Arbor, on deals. And people who have purchased our deals, purchased deals from us, have used Arbor, as well as my clients in my consulting program, they've used it. So this is a recommendation that comes from firsthand experience. And the last thing I'll say about uh, working with Mark Belsky at Eastern Union is that if you need a loan guarantor, but don't have that track record quite yet, then Mark can look at what you've, the deal you've got, And assuming it checks out, he can make introductions to people he knows as potential loan guarantors for your deal. So debt, equity, and potentially loan guarantors. Uh, All you need, well, you need to find a deal, obviously. Um, But besides that, you know, the other main components of the deal they can help you out with. So talk to Mark Belsky. His email is mbelsky at easterneq.com and his phone number 212-897-9875. There needed to be a resource on apartment syndication that not only talked about each aspect of the syndication process, but how to actually do each of the things and go into it in detail. And we thought, hey, why not make it free too? That's why we launched Syndication School, and Theo Hicks will go through a particular aspect of apartment syndication on today's episode and get into the details of how to do that particular thing. Enjoy this episode, and for more on apartment syndication and how to do things, go to apartmentsyndication.com or to learn more about the Apartment Syndication School go to syndicationschool.com so you can listen to all the previous episodes. Hi, best ever listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the Syndication School series, a free resource focused on the how-tos of apartment syndications. As always, I am your host, Theo Hicks. 
So each week we air a two-part podcast series about a specific aspect of the apartments vacation investment strategy. And for the majority of these series, we are offering documents or spreadsheets that are available for you to download for free. All documents and Syndication School series can be found at syndicationschool.com. This episode is part one of a two-part series entitled The Power of Your Apartment Syndication Brand. Now actually, it's going to be a four-part series where we will be focusing in the first two parts on the power of the brand and in the second two parts, we'll be focusing on the two large components of the brand, which is your company presentation and your thought leadership platform. But to start off, we're going to do an introduction into why you need a brand and how to select a target audience, as well as the first three components of your brand in this episode. So those are the three things you will learn by the end of the episode. Now, to explain how powerful and important a brand is, I will start off by going over two examples, because what better way than to discuss real-world examples? So probably the most popular brand out there is Apple, but it used to not always be as popular as it is today. In the early 90s, they were losing market share to a company called Wintel, which is a partnership between Microsoft Windows and Intel, which no longer exists. And at the same time, Apple had also tried a new project called the Apple Newton, which obviously doesn't exist because it failed. And it was a multi-billion dollar project. So the combination of those two things had the company overall struggling. And in order to turn things around, they didn't focus on products. They actually focused on their brand. So in 1997, as you are probably aware of, they initiated their Think Different campaign. And that campaign, in combination with the return of Steve Jobs, allowed them to reverse the brand's negative trend. And now today, Apple is worth over $1 trillion. But there was a moment in time in the 90s where Apple almost went defunct. And they focused on improving their brand through that Think Different campaign, as well as bringing back the face of the company, which is Steve Jobs, and they were able to turn things around, and now I'm recording a podcast on an Apple computer, and you're probably listening to this podcast on an Apple phone. That's one example of how focusing on your brand can turn around a company, in this case, create a trillion-dollar company. Now, an example a little bit closer to home would be Joe's Best Ever brand. And I'm not sure if you know the story, but he actually didn't initially start the podcast to create a brand. He actually did it just to make money. At the time, he owned a handful of single-family homes, and he had completed his first syndication deal, but he left his six-figure corporate job and the income that was coming in from those single-family homes and that first syndication weren't enough. So he brainstormed ways to bring in additional income, and also at the same time, he brought on the famous Coach T, Trevor McGregor, who, as you all know, is Joe's business coach and life coach. And together, they came up with an idea for a podcast. And the thought was, 
if Joe could build a loyal following, then he could attract advertisers to sponsor the podcast and bring in additional income stream. Now, as noted, today, the best ever brand has blown up to being more than just a podcast. It's got a blog, newsletter, conferences, meetup groups, and Joe definitely attributes the success of his company and his ability to control over $400 million in apartments to this point in time where he decided to launch his podcast. So those are just two examples of how focusing on building a brand can result in building a massive company. In one case, a trillion-dollar company. In another case, $400 million company and growing. So more specifically, based off of those two examples and other examples of powerful brands, why do you need a brand as an apartment syndicator? Why can't you just focus on finding deals and raising money and asset managing? Why do you need to incorporate an entirely seemingly different aspect of a business, which is a brand? Well, first is the brand will bring you credibility as an apartment syndicator. So using Apple as an example, they lost credibility due to the failed Apple Newton project. And that credibility was, in a sense, transferred to that Wintel partnership. But they focused on their brand and were able to bring back Steve Jobs, increase their credibility, and reverse that negative trend. So similarly, for you, you're not going to have an existing company that you need to repair the brand for. But as a new syndicator who hasn't completed a deal, one of the main challenges you're going to face is a lack of credibility. You're going to have a credibility problem in the eyes of different team members you talk to. You're going to have a credibility problem in the eyes of passive investors. Why would a broker send you a deal if you've never done a deal before? Or why would a passive investor invest with you and not someone else if you've never done a deal before? But having a powerful brand in place before you start to reach out to these team members and before you start to have conversations with passive investors will allow you to go from being perceived as an unknown newbie to a known expert. So you'll go from no one knowing who you are, and when they first talk to you, they don't know about your background, or they know that you haven't done a deal before, to becoming someone who is hopefully known to them before you actually talk to them, and you'll also be perceived as an expert. An example would be if you were to Google Joe Fairless, you wouldn't just see Joe's LinkedIn page or Facebook profile. Instead, if you Google Joe's name, you will come across endless pages on Google of his brand. So if you think about it, if you put yourself in the passive investor shoes, if you Google someone's name and all you see is a LinkedIn profile, and then you Google someone else's name and you see a LinkedIn profile, then you'll see a website, a podcast, a blog, in-person events, who is perceived as more of an expert? Even if the person that only has a LinkedIn profile has done a deal before, the fact that you have such a presence online will give you that extra level of credibility that you would not be able to have otherwise. So you Google Joe's name and you see that he's someone who has posted content for over 1,500 days in a row, which is his podcast. They see that he's someone who's consistently producing and performing. They also see that he hosts in-person events with his meetup and his conference which gives even more credibility than someone who solely has an online presence. And they'll also see a variety of 
other educational content. So they see that not only is he successful, but he's attempting to help other people be successful as well. So all those things hold extra weight in the eyes of a potential team member or a potential investor. So credibility is huge. Number two, having a brand allows you to have extra networking abilities. So for example, with a podcast, you have the ability to network and form personal connections with your listeners that you've never met before. And you're doing this while you sleep. So you record a podcast episode one time and someone on the other side of the planet who is listening to it during the day while you're sleeping that you never met before, who might be a potential passive investor is listening to your podcast, getting to know you and getting to see you display your expertise. Also, the brand allows you to meet people that could potentially be future team members. So for example, if you create a interview-based podcast or an interview-based blog or an interview-based YouTube channel, then you get to go out and pick rather than calling up a broker and having a regular conversation with them about your goals of buying a deal. Instead, you can invite them onto your podcast, which gives them exposure. And before or after the podcast, you can talk to them about your business. An added level to that is that you're able to leverage your brand to meet people in person or just via Skype and having a conversation that you would not have been able to meet otherwise. For example, in Joe's first 200 podcasts, he interviewed Robert Kiyosaki and Barbara Corcoran. So without a brand, how would he have met those two individuals? It had been very difficult. It's possible, but it had been very difficult, whereas instead, he has an in, which is his podcast. And he mentioned how many people listen, and that is focused on real estate, and invite them on. Maybe they say no, but in this case, they said yes. And then more currently, Joe's been able to talk to other famous people like Emmett Smith, Charles Fletcher, who he actually spoke to and who actually spoke at his real estate conference, and Tony Hawk, among other people. So again, without a brand and without the podcast aspect of that brand, how would he talk to Emmett Smith? How would he ever had a chance to talk to him unless he ran into him at a grocery store? So in other words, the brand is the most time-efficient networking strategy that has ever existed Because, again, you can network with people across the planet while you're sleeping. And at the same time, it's also powerful because it allows you to interact with people that it would be impossible to do otherwise. So that's number two, the networking advantage of the brand. Number three would be direct and indirect cash flow. So for Joe, when he started his podcast, the goal was to get sponsorships. So that's a direct line of cash flow from the podcast. Other examples of more indirect things that come from having a brand would be money made from things like conferences, book sales, or consulting programs. Because if you have a large brand and you have a large following, then there are things that you can sell to them that add value to their business and makes you money as well. And then, of course, since we are apartment syndicators, we make the majority of our money from actually doing deals. So, indirectly... We benefit from our brand by doing more deals. So we are able to bring on more passive investors, more team members, more partners, find more deals than we would have been able to do without our brand and the credibility and networking and exposure that comes from it. So that's number three, direct and indirect cash flow. 
Number four is education. So if you listen to the previous syndication of school series, you'll remember that two of the requirements to becoming a syndicator is education and experience. And one way to gain education, which also has other benefits as, as well, is do your brand. So again, if you have a interview-based podcast, then you're able to bring on different real estate professionals who are active and successful and have conversation with them and ask them really any question you want. So if you have a particular question about a specific aspect of the syndication investment strategy, let's say you want to know what's the best way to put together an offering from a legal standpoint, then rather than just calling up a lawyer and asking them those questions, which they probably answer, but an extra level of connection would be to bring them on their podcast and also ask them that same question because, again, you're going to get the answer. People listening are going to get the answer. And you're going to form a more personal connection with that person. And you're giving them more exposure for their business as well. Which brings us to the fifth point, which is contribution. So the first four are more for you. How are you going to benefit? But at the same time, by building a powerful brand, other people are going to benefit as well. Because I'm going to keep using the podcast as an example throughout. But if you have an interview-based podcast... Not only are you getting the benefits of credibility, networking, potential cash flow, and your education, but people listening are also going to learn. They likely have similar questions that you have, and by you asking them, they are learning things that will help them achieve their business goals. And at the same time, since the brand will help you achieve your business goals as well, the people involved in your business, so your team members, your passive investors, partners, any clients you bring on, people who go to your conferences, anyone who benefits from your brand will also have the ability to grow their business as well. So those are the top five. There are plenty of other reasons why brands are powerful, but the top five reasons are that credibility factor, the ability to network with people you don't know while you sleep, and connect with people that you would likely never meet otherwise. Three is the ability to create a line of direct and indirect cash flow. Four is the educational benefits to you. And five is the ability to contribute to other aspiring investors in, in this case, the syndication niche. But really, these concepts discussed in this podcast and in the next three syndication school podcasts can really be applied to any business strategy, not even just real estate. Now, there is one thing that Joe wishes he would have done differently starting out. Obviously, everything's worked out perfectly fine. But one of the things that he wishes he would have done differently starting out was to have focused his content more. So the mistake was not defining a specific target audience. And instead, he focused on trying to bring in as many listeners as possible. And one of the reasons why he came to this conclusion was after reading Tim Ferriss's, and it's not his most recent book, but it's his book, Tools of Titans. And in one of those chapters, he interviewed an economist who brought up the concept of 2,000 true fans. Now, essentially, there are two different types of fame. There's general fame, and there's selective fame. So general fame is... Essentially, the type of fame where you are known by everyone, you are recognized by everyone, so that would be like a rock star 
or a rapper or a very famous actor or actress or a very famous sports star, so a very famous athlete. Or I guess another example would be a politician as well. Now, the benefits of this type of fame is, of course, lots of money, but there are also liabilities because if you are generally famous, you can't really do much without being recognized or bombarded by paparazzi or fans. And while that sounds nice to us right now, I'm sure after a couple of weeks of every time you go to get a burrito from Chipotle, the cashier, the people working there, everyone in line is staring at you and asking for autographs, I'm sure that would get annoying pretty fast. So overall, general fame is pretty overrated and it's something not many people really accomplish anyways. Now the other fame is the selective fame. And per the name 2000 True Fans, what selective fame is when you are famous to 2,000 to 3,000 hand-picked people. And with this type of fame, you're able to maximize the upside, so the financial upside, while minimizing that downside and the liabilities that come with the general fame. And the reason why this aligns really well with apartment syndications is because you don't really need hundreds of thousands or millions of people investing in your deals. 2,000 passive investors would be enough. You don't even need that many. But having 2,000 people who are loyal to your brand and loyal to your company will allow you to do any deal you want and raise money for any deal that you want. So that's why you want to select and define a specific target audience. And these will be the people who will be your 2,000 or so true fans because at the end of the day the best brands are the ones that only attract the ideal customer rather than attracting everyone so the best brands so the amazing brand would have 1000 people who will buy anything that they create whereas a brand that has 100,000 followers that only has 1% of people buying some of the things they make is not as effective it's not as good so who are the 2,000 true fans for apartment syndicators. Well, for example, obviously your fans, quote-unquote, are going to be the passive investors who are investing in your deals, primarily. And for Joe, his target audience is, again, defined very specifically, and it is people that are between the ages of 35 and 65 years old, that are male, living in or near a large city, and are employed as a business owner, executive, doctor, dentist, engineer, or a real estate investor who is interested in being a passive investor, and they are accredited. Now, these criteria are based on Joe's existing investor database. So as I mentioned, he did not have a specific target audience in mind initially. So once he'd done a couple of deals, he went back and analyzed his investor database to figure out what was the common thread amongst the majority of the investors. This doesn't mean that he won't take money from people under 35 years old or over the age of 65, or he won't raise money from females or people that live in small cities or have different jobs. But they have to be accredited. The point is that this is what he focuses on because this is his demographic of the majority of investors. But again, he does have large investors that fall outside of this criteria. And of course, he wants to attract these types of individuals. And if they reach out, he will help them invest in his deals. But initially, his target audience was, again, undefined, but... When he thinks about it, it was advertising professionals because at this point he had not done a deal yet. And for syndicators that have not done a deal yet, the majority of their investors will come from 
family, friends, and colleagues. So for Joe, since he had worked in the advertising industry for many years, those were the types of people he was focusing on in the beginning. Now, Joe also has a secondary target audience who are aspiring apartment syndicators, hence the syndication school. So this is targeted towards people who want to become apartment syndicators to help them out along the process. And 65% of our content is directed towards that primary audience of passive investors, and 35% of the content is targeted towards the secondary target. Now, who are your 2,000 true fans? So you don't want to just copy Joe's. <laughs> you can if you want to, but you want to make it more specific when you are first starting out because you aren't going to have access to such a large demographic of investors because Joe has done many deals, whereas you haven't done any deals at the moment. So instead, you want your primary target audience to be hyper-focused based on the networks you are already tapped into. So this could be your current job. It could be if you are tapped into your college alumni group. If you play intramural sports, it could be people that go to your gym. Friends and family are, are pretty obvious. Maybe there's a charity that you volunteer at. So essentially, ask yourself what networks you're currently tapped into. And based off of the demographic of people, define a target audience with age, gender, location, what they do for work, things like that. Now, if the primary target audience isn't big enough, then you can define that secondary target audience. And rather than it being the same as Joe, which is aspiring apartment syndicators, because you likely don't have a consulting program or the expertise to teach people how to do apartment syndications. Instead, it should be defined as an audience that you want to know. So who are people that you don't know right now, but you want to know, and your brand will be a good way to tap into that network. So overall, at this point, you should be able to define exactly who it is you're targeting your brand at. Now, we've talked about what a brand is and where you should target your brand at, but what the heck is the actual brand for apartment syndications? Well, there are six main components of the brand. Number one is a company name. Number two is a logo. Number three is a website. Number four is business cards. Number five is a company presentation. And number six is a thought leadership platform. Now, in the remaining minutes of this episode, we're going to focus on those first three, the company name, the logo, and the business card. In the next episode, tomorrow, or if you're listening to this in the future, the episode after this episode, we will focus on number four, which is the website. And then next week, we'll focus on those remaining two which are the five company presentation and six thought leadership platform. And we will also be offering a free document with this episode, which is a branding resource document, which offers tips and links for creating all six of the main components. But we'll go over most of the tips and I'll explain which companies you want to use, but I would definitely use that resource because you can click on all of the different providers and examples that are listed on there. So number one is the company name. When creating a company name, you have the decision to either 
incorporate your name or not incorporate your name. So your name being, you know, Theo Hicks, Joe Fairless. So for example, Joe started off with a company name called Fairless Investing, but eventually he transitioned to Ashcroft Capital. So there's pros and cons of each, and it's really up to you to decide which option to go with. But when you are including your name in your company name, so Fairless Investing, for example, or Hicks Acquisitions, the reason that's beneficial is because your investors are not investing in a company, they are investing in you. So by incorporating your name, they're investing in you and the company, and it will give the people that look up your company name an understanding right away of, okay, this is Joe's business, or this is Theo's business. Whereas if you have a name that doesn't incorporate your name, they'll have to do a little bit of more investigating to determine whose company it actually is. But the downside of including your name in the company name is that the business is going to be dependent on you forever, which is eventually going to become a problem, which is why, again, Joe transferred from Farrell's Investing to Ashcroft Capital. If you have a podcast, you're doing conferences and blogs, and you're obviously doing your syndication deals, and you've got meetup groups and newsletters, it's going to be difficult for you to do all of that. And if your name is in the company name, then if you're not the face, people expect you to be the face. So if you don't want to be the face of the company for everything, then you don't want to include your name. And the advantage of that is that you are essentially tapped into a larger team. So for at Ashcroft Capital, there's partners, there's underwriters, there's analysts, there's directors, and everyone comes up under the Ashcroft Capital name, whereas if it was called Fairless Investing, that would be a little strange for the other people who have important duties and roles in the company. And of course, the company will not be dependent on you forever. It will not be dependent on you being the face for everything. So again, pros and cons for each. It's really up to you. Probably the ideal strategy is probably either to start off with your name in the company and then transition, or to just pick one and use that indefinitely. Now, the last thing you want to know about your company name is probably pretty obvious, but it's got to be easy to pronounce and easy to remember. So if you have a very complicated name that is hard to pronounce then you probably don't want to include it because if people can't pronounce it, then people aren't going to be able to talk about it and refer it to other people. It's going to be hard to say, hey, I'm investing in this company. I can't really pronounce the name, but it's a great company. It's not going to sound as good as investing in Ashcroft Capital that's run by Joe and Frank. So that's number one, the company name. So you can work on that. Number two is the logo. So after you have created your company name, you can create a logo that incorporates that name. I highly recommend outsourcing this to a designer. So you can go to Logo Garden or Fiverr or Upwork to find a designer to create your logo. And the process is to obviously have your company name and have a few design ideas of what you want to incorporate. And if you want to incorporate a microphone or if you want to incorporate apartment buildings, I have that in mind and tell that to them. Also have two to three color schemes. So red, white, and blue, black, green, and gray. Have a couple of color schemes in mind. And then also fonts as well. And then send that information to the designer and ask them to mock up a handful, maybe five different logo types. And then once you have those preliminary designs, ask for feedback. So post them to social media, LinkedIn, maybe print them off and bring them to meetup groups. Anyone else who has a good eye for these types of things and ask them, hey, 
I got these five logos. Which one do you like the best? And then, based off of their feedback, pick the best one. Once you have your logo, then the design and the color scheme should be consistent across your entire brand. So, for example, Joe's is red, white, and blue. And that is consistent across the entire best ever brand. So books, meetup groups, podcasts, blogs, newsletters have that red, white, and blue color scheme. So that's number two, the logo. Number three are the business cards. Before you create your business card, you also want to have a website, which we'll talk about in the next episode, so that you can include that on your business card. But you want to include your company name, your logo, and your website on these business cards. And you can get business cards from Logo Garden or Vistaprint. And they usually will have a whole slew of designs to choose from. And you can incorporate your logo in a custom design. And one thing to think about is the title to put on the business card. And people have different opinions on this, but you can put the owner or principal or syndicator. Really, I guess the title is more so for people who are actively involved with residents. So for example, for my business card, for my property that I manage, I didn't put the owner because I didn't want to be perceived as the owner. Instead, I put project manager that way. If I gave my business card to anyone, whether it be a tenant or a vendor, they didn't look at me as the owner. They looked at me as just someone just like them who's you know working for someone else and That way, if they have any questions or pushback, I could just say, oh, well, you know, it's not my decision. I'm just working on behalf of the owner. And in fact, I actually had my wife be the owner. And so whenever we had issues with tenants and they asked to talk to the owner, I would just send them to my wife and be sitting in the same room listening to them on speakerphone and giving her pointers on what to say. But anyways, those are the first three components of the brand, which are the company name, the logo, and the business cards. So in this episode... You learned the five primary benefits of creating a brand. You learned the one thing that Joe wishes he would have done slightly differently starting out, which is to define a target audience. And to do so, we introduced the 2,000 true fans concept and told you exactly how to select your primary and maybe even your secondary target audience. And then lastly, we just went over this, which is how to create a company name, logo, and business card. And for those three components, make sure you check out the free document, which is available at syndicationschool.com or in the show notes of this episode, so that you can click on the links to the different providers who will help you create your logo and business cards. That concludes part one. In part two, we're going to focus exclusively on the fourth component, which is the most important component of your brand, which is the website. To listen to other syndication school series about the how-tos of apartment syndications and to download your free document and all previous free documents, visit syndicationschool.com. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Do you need debt for your deal, equity for your deal, or maybe a loan guarantor to help you get qualified for the financing? Talk to Mark Belsky. His number is 212-897-9875. That's 212-897-9875. His email is mbelsky at easterneq.com. Have you heard about the latest podcast for entrepreneurs called Tough Decisions? Listen to Dan and Danae Hanford as they interview successful people from around the world about tough decisions as entrepreneurs. 
Visit toughdecisions.net and be sure to subscribe to their free weekly entrepreneurial email. That's toughdecisions.net.